All right, so we're going to start session number five, God is Provider, Love Displayed in Economy, or you could say in Business. This corresponds with the mountain of economy, mountain of business, depending who's talking about it, writing it about it, it's the same mountain. Um, but it's more about the discovery of God, our approach to it in this whole series, Restoring God's Face to Society. As we begin this session, I want to remind you that we're looking at each of these areas in the context of the reformation of society. We've been identifying that this really cannot take place without us having a more advanced knowledge of God and his better way of doing everything. And through that knowledge of God, we overthrow an existing lie, and that is how society begins to be reformed. The end goal is that the mountain-specific knowledge of God fill the whole earth for each one of the mountains. He is the rainbow God who must shine in all seven colors in order to be seen in the correct perspective of his fullness. So we want to start in this session by gazing at God as provider. And it corresponds with the assignment on the mountain of economy or business. Our mountain of economy assignment is directly tied into us being able to see this aspect of God's face that reveals his pleasure. We have to know him and his pleasure for providing. This is the nuanced way his love is manifested on this mountain. Again, he has so much love, it can't just be restricted to one way. He has so many ways of showing it. And again, some have thought in times past that the way of succeeding on this mountain, the mountain of business or economy, is that we have to overthrow mammon in some kind of hand-to-hand combat. But that really doesn't happen in the direct spiritual battle way that we've thought. Mammon gets overthrown when the lie behind mammon gets overthrown by the truth of who God as provider is as it is made manifest. Therefore, our starting place is gazing at our Father, at our God as provider, and absorbing that truth into our ever-expanding, or hopefully ever-expanding perspective of who God is. As we look at him as provider, we're reminded that one of his primary names is Jehovah Jireh, meaning God is provision. doesn't just mean God is provider. It literally means God is provision. And this is an important understanding of our God. Not only can he provide, but it is in fact something he is He doesn't need to try to drum up a business or provision strategy to assist us. He is provision. He can start with dust or dry bones or wilderness rocks or a rib, and he can make something remarkable. But he can also just start from nothing, as it was when he produced manna from heaven. At any given time and location, he can just rain out of the skies that which we need for our well-being. He's done it before. He can do it again at any time he wants to, at his own discretion. He hasn't even written up principles to, to limit himself from doing this. We can read about him, and he just says, ask. That's a pretty wide principle. If you can see this face of mine, ask, and it will be given. This is important to know as we look at him and study his possibilities. I remember being in Chile a few years ago. The nation of Chile was uh, at the end of a meeting. We were in a theater, and um, I was with my brother-in-law. We were getting different words of knowledge, but there had been a theme of we were on the mountain of, of economy for this particular session, and we're asking all the people who had need of a financial miracle to hold up their wallets in the air and that we would pray together for a miracle to happen. One person came up at the end of the meeting, and they now had a large amount of cash in their wallets that they didn't previously have. That was pretty cool. Another person came to us the next day, and he showed he came with an electronic transfer statement of a substantial amount of money into his bank account that occurred at exactly the time he was holding up his wallet. And as I was praying at that time, he stated that no one else knew his number, that there was no explanation for how that money could be there, and it's literally, he can't tell where the place is from. It really came from nowhere and had no electronic trail, but it's in his account. Now, is that not something? Yeah, I received that. I hear that. God had money transferred into his account just because he can. And just because he saw this young man pull on him in faith, 
What you can see in his faith, face you can access. It's part of this, the power and value of expanding our knowledge of him. What you can see in his face, you can access. So again, we want to gaze at a God who loves providing for his kids and who loves doing so because giving and financing is in his DNA. It's in his essence. There is a kind of, there's a kind of provision that comes from working hard, but greater provision is yet to be accessed because we believe hard. Ultimately, in the same way we love providing for our own children, we have to know that he loves providing for his children. We can get a sense, us being in his image, how much that blesses us, that reflects who he is. Jesus' first miracles we were pointing out in the previous session was a miracle for, for celebrating, but it was a financial miracle for a spe special event. It wasn't you know, the, the wedding at Cana. It wasn't a conference. It wasn't something we might call spiritual. He provided better and more abundant wine for those already perhaps tipsy, just so it wouldn't be an embarrassment for the wedding family. In that wedding at Cana, Jesus' mother came to him and, and you know, said, Jesus, this is a very important wedding with many guests, and the wine has run out. And this is such a social embarrassment for this family. That's essentially what she was saying with what we could read there. And she's also saying, you've helped me in the kitchen when I run out of things, and I know you can help out here as well. <laughs> and Jesus protests to his mom and like, you know this is not the timeline we were talking about for my first miracle. And you know it. And uh, this dynamic of mothers, Jesus experienced that as well. His time had not yet come, he would say, yet Mary knew a couple things about Jesus that others did not know. One is that she knew he was a sentimental softy, <laughs> and another is that he loves providing for needs because he carried the fullness of the Godhead in him. So God in the flesh, through the person of Jesus, fast-forward his timetable for public miracles by providing for a really unspiritual need. It's just something good to soak into. In fact, we could connect this story with God being the celebrating God, as we were saying, as his first miracle was to make sure celebration stayed joyful. It wasn't grape juice, and no one who has properly researched this believes that. Jesus' first miracle was as provider for a very mundane event. As we gaze as at Father, at God, as provider. It's important that we see him not only as the God who provides for spiritual matters, but he loves providing for all matters concerning our real life, and he loves doing so abundantly. It's just good that we're, we're gazing and we're staring at him, we're expanding our knowledge of him. In this miracle, we want to look at this a little more. In the miracle of the water being turned into the wine at Cana, he produced over 100 gallons of top wine. I believe it's actually 180 gallons of top wine after the celebration had been going on for a while. It's most likely there was a significant amount left over. What's he producing that much for? Because he's an over-the-top provider. When he fed the 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes, it wasn't, and there was just enough for everybody. He's not the God of just enough. He's the God of pressed down, shaking together, and running over. There's 12 baskets left over with no real goal for what the 12 baskets are going to do. He wasn't just, well, you know, we can give to the poor. It's like, I just, I always have left over. I love the provision miracles where the leftover is 100 times more than the original. It's because he just loves providing, as we said, the, the verse in the scripture, pressed down, shaken together, running over. He's not just there is the always enough God, but he wants to reveal himself as there is always more than enough God, as the always there is more than enough God. So we want to see him as that and stop thinking of him. And it's really a poverty mentality to think, well, there's always enough. He's not that way. He didn't manifest himself that way in any way. We look at him as provider. We remember when Peter came to him telling Jesus he was being harassed about his taxes. Do you remember that? He said, the IRS is breathing down my neck. They're wanting to garnish my wages. What should I do about it? Jesus gave him a provision strategy of going out with a shiny hook and no bait. And he told him the first fish that would come would be the one who had developed a knack for loving shiny things. That's in the Bible. We're not reading it to you right now, but you can find it. <laughs> this fish, as we already know, had a gold coin inside. You remember that? You probably didn't pick it up, but go back and read. He never tells Peter to put any bait on it. He's like, there's a fish that likes shiny things. You can pick them up if you put nothing on it. 
So Jeter, Jesus, Jeter, Jesus told Peter, <clears throat> he mixed Jesus and Peter, come up with Jeter. Jesus told Peter this uh, could also take care of his taxes as well. Because Jesus was like, no, there's going to be enough for my taxes as well. Again, he's always more than enough. Um, should anyone be asking about whether if God is paying taxes, is pay, you know, the irony of that idea is, is something as well, that Jesus would pay taxes. The whole earth is his, and he founded it and all that. But we want to make the mental notes of the God we are gazing at. He provides for extravagant wedding celebrations, and he provides for taxes. Neither one of those miracles was ministry associated. We have this thing, no, God, he'll do, you know, he'll provide for ministry, but he's really not into the other stuff. Just figure it out on your own. That's a lie. We have another time when Peter, the professional fisherman, is fishing all night for provision for himself and his family, and yet they are catching nothing. It's in John chapter 21. Jesus shows up and says, hey, throw the nets on the right side. And all of a sudden, there were so many fish, the boat almost sunk. They needed their normal amount for basic provision, but Jesus provided in an over-the-top fashion. I read some uh, extra-biblical information on it. said, you know, they were used to f being professional fishermen. They would catch some in the night and go to the next day and provide for themselves for a few days, but what they got with a boat full of that size would be uh, several months of provision for them. And, but these three miracles of provision that I've just mentioned have no clear ministry objective with them. So we have to, I'm going to say it again, erase the idea that God only cares for provision that's clearly earmarked for ministry. The kingdom encompasses our ministry assignment and also goes into all of our life. He cares about everything and he will provide abundantly for everything if we can just see him as such and come to him as such. Even as we look at him in the Old Testament, we see a God who loves to provide and he who loves to do so abundantly. His covenants with his great friends were always covenants that declared the abundance of provision. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, always there was an association with wealth. When he first spoke to Moses in Exodus 3 about taking Israel out of Egypt into the promised land, so much of what he spoke to Moses was in the context of them going from lack and oppression into abundance. From the very beginning, he promised a land that flowed with milk and honey which were signs of abundance. And this he repeated over and over to Moses and Israel. They were told, you know that in Deuteronomy 28, he would make them the head and not the tail. And it was a description of wealth as a main part of the blessing. They would cease being borrowers. They would become lenders. And it becomes important for us to see this God who loves providing as, as this is a significant manifestation of his love for us and through us even to the world and society. It's one of his seven languages of love towards us, if you will. There's a reality that we won't be able to re-image the aspects of him we are unable to see. So we must see and gaze at this God. We must be convinced that this is who he is. I know there are some ministries and some churches that err in only seeing this aspect of him, as if he is only this aspect, but it's still a core characteristic of who he is. And in the same way, any emotionally healthy parent loves giving gifts to their kids, so much more is he towards us. We have to be convinced of that. And the more we study him in Scripture, the more we see that. We're going to go into the rainbow God color associated with him. And um, the, rainbow God, the rainbow color associated with the face of God as provider on the mountain of economy is green. The color green. It's kind of obvious, isn't it? <clears throat> Green has already been naturally associated with money. You think greenbacks, as well as it's the color of growth and new life. Spring always brings the promise of green, and it's a sign that harvest will come. We all love green lights. We all love getting our projects green-lighted because they're a sign that we get to move forward. As, uh, as previously mentioned, uh, chromotherapy offers an explanation regarding each color's impact on us. And I don't know enough to totally validate it as science, but I did read enough things that were they just they sounded interesting and connected to uh, what I was uh, sensing the Lord was showing me about that aspect of God. And chromotherapy says that light and colors have a healing component to them. And in chromotherapy, the color green is said to relax nerves and to assist the body as an antiseptic against harmful microorganisms. 
So the color green relaxes nerves and is, serves as an antiseptic against harf, harmful microorganisms. It only makes sense that when our spirit knows it's been provided for by God, when our spirit, when our body, soul, and spirit are, are secured in God's provision, that it affects us as a green hue of God. It puts us at peace. Our nerves are relaxed. And it strengthens the body's defenses against harmful lies from the enemy that would say he can't be trusted to provide. So we all want to see his green color, and we all want to be able to reflect this color green into society, manifesting who he is, bringing prosperity to every area of need, including entire national economies. He is the macro and the micro God. He will take care of the hungry multitude, but he also take care of Peter's taxes. I've watched him take a whole nation. I have a testimony I can't give now, but a whole nation, nation I grew up in. We grew up and it was 90% extreme poverty rate. And as of uh, June of last year, that had diminished to a 6.5% extreme poverty rate. Most of that in the last 10 years, based on really supernatural things that the Lord did, had us be a part of to identify prophetically where there are mines and uh, silver and gold and lost cities of the Incas, etc. And um, it, it was just great to go into these cities and hear the Lord say, hey, there's going to be salt mines here and zinc mines and thermal springs and the desert's going to bloom here and, and uh, this, this desert land over here will produce grapes and have to see all that take place in short order and even have the president of that nation go into these regions and said, no, it's being called around the world the Peruvian economic miracle, you know you're a part, a main part of that. So I've seen this face of God for entire cities and nations, as well as in our own personal finances, and it's a, a wonderful see, a wonderful thing to see this part of him, the green hue of God. And I think most of us would like more green hue of God in our life. <clears throat> so we want to expand our knowledge of him and how much he enjoys giving to us. And that's been a new thing for me. I just grew up like, no, just give us just enough. Go, you know, we have this poverty mentality that sounds holy and religious, uh, but it's not. And he is not the God of just enough. He, just enough. he is the over-the-top provider, and he wants to showcase himself as such. Now we're going to go to the Revelation 5.12 template that we've been using in every one of these sessions, and we're going to see that this is where love is displayed as riches. You know, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches, is the second thing mentioned there, and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. As we look at the Revelation 5.12 template, um, it's, it's, of course, no surprise that this is the value associated with the restoration of the provider face of God. Worthy is the lamb to receive riches from the mountain of economy or business. Now, the word riches in the Greek here that's used is the word plutos, from where we get the word plutocracy, a political system governed by wealthy people. The word means wealth, as in fullness, possessions, money, abundance, richness, valuable bestowment. The lamb has overcome on the cross, and he has regained for us the authority to walk in abundance. As a kingdom citizen, wealth is never the end goal. We understand that. This separates us from the wealth pursuers outside of the kingdom context, for with them, it is all about the accumulation of wealth. When you're driven by mammon, the goal is accumulation of wealth. When you're driven by trust in God, you have the wealth, but you're not driven by it or satisfied. It just serves the purposes that you have for expanding the kingdom of God and his fame on planet Earth. When it's done by the mammon, it's for pride and vanity purposes. For a citizen of the kingdom, Wealth is that which allows one to best fulfill the heavenly assignment. Your heavenly assignment will generally require the green hue of God, as you've noticed. <clears throat> there are riches for the assignment, and the assignment itself produces the necessary riches. We know that Jesus himself said that it was more difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of the needle. But then he went on to say, but with God all things are possible. This tells us that becoming rich is fraught with traps and dangers that most fall into, but that he does, he does still have inheritance for us. The test is to stay dependent and trusting in God and not in that which he is providing. 
That's where the heart gets tested. The easy default, as I was saying before, is just to say, God, I don't need much. Just let me get by. But that's less than a correct understanding of, he, of who he desires to be for us and who he desires to be through us. He wants us rich. It would be great, you know, if it was known that every, every kingdom believer, um, you wanted them to come to your business, to anywhere, they, they're the automatic, they, the list, the minimum they, they will tip is 30%. Wouldn't that be, it's just known. That was the new way. We're, we just walk in so much abundance that we're the best tippers, we're the best providers. Uh, you know, people would want to work for us. They would want to serve us because it is overflowing f- from us. And um, he wants us rich, but he wants it clear that he sourced it. Because our souls need to know that he sourced it. So in order for that to happen, we must have intentionally brought him into all processes having to do with gaining finances or riches. There are many wealthy that are believers, but they're they work so hard for it, they're not really sure God helped them. <clears throat> he generally leads us on a, when, when he is providing for us in a supernatural way, he generally leads us on a counterintuitive pursuit path of provision when we invite him in at such a level. A mammon system is to leverage every financial opportunity. God's system has us radically giving and obeying at every opportunity. It's a different operating system. The main thing for us to know in this session is that riches are a very primary facet of who God is and how he shows love. The foundation of thought is necessary. That foundation of thought is necessary for us to experience him and reveal him as such. I want to talk just for a moment now on the angelic forces of God that are available and operating in this mountain of business economy, those that have the assignment of re imaging God in society in this proper way. And I believe the great angel of the mountain of economy is an archangel named Zerachiel, Z-E-R-A-C-H-I-E-L. Zerachiel means provided or sent by God. That's why I tell you the names of them, because in it, it tells us their assignment. Their assignment is to reveal the provider face of God. We need to see the provider face of God. We need to reveal the provider face of God. And even the head angel carries that name. His name is provided or sent by God. He understands that he and his whole army of millions of provision angels are assigned to assist us in experiencing this aspect of God's face. Now, this great angel and those that come with him have assignments to empower the sons and daughters of the king who are trusting in him with the discovery of finances and resources in in many varied ways. Uh, They may speak in dreams. We have many of those stories and, and give strategies and inventions. They may bring unusual favor for open doors. We honestly don't even know all the ways that this army is here to assist us but they are looking for those who understand the assignment and the mission of restoring the true image of God, the true knowledge of God, and that is who they're prepared to help in an advanced fashion, especially in this coming season, in this kingdom age that is now upon us. It's just good to know that there's a specific army of God, of his angels assigned to care for this aspect of who he is. We're not alone. We're not on our own. And when we engage in this thing called trust, it becomes the connector to the supernatural help that has been appropriated for us. It really was correctly put on the dollar bill. In God, we trust. That is the bridge. That is a link of faith to how we receive the greater measure. And this angel, again, I want to point out on every one of these, our angels are greater than the darkness. This angel is greater than mammon and is assigned to assist us and ensure that the future ministers of wealth are positioned among the nations. That goes on in Isaiah 60. It really goes on to say, basically, that the Lord is raising up ministers of wealth that will even restore cities and nations as we go into Isaiah 61 as well. And and I believe I was shown that this very powerful angel has a special release that will take place in Rosh Hashanah of this year, 2015, and that this means a significant breakthrough for the sons and daughters of the king that understand the assignment. The kingdom age we have just started will need extravagant funding, and it's going to get it as well. So now we want to go into what's the big lie about God on the mountain of economy. 
thinking just for refreshing sake, thinking back through the grid of Elijah with the prophets of Baal and identifying the battle over the knowledge of God. It's all about the battle between two arguments. And we cast down the inferior knowledge, the argument of Satan. His stronghold is always an argument against how God is. And when we recognize that lie, then we come in the truth. We reconfirm the truth of who God is. We reveal the truth that who he is. And we advance in war with that as a mighty weapon of war. And it is that that overthrows the enemy. And so we're, we're doing this session all in the, the macro context of bringing reformation to society. And to reform this area of economy or business, the mountain of economy or business, we have to recognize that culture itself uh, speaks a truth or a lie to every heart, uh, depending on if that culture is in synchronicity with God's image or not. Everywhere his image is not seen, the lie about him will tend towards an orphan mentality. The lie, to get right to the actual lie, the lie being perpetuated about God in our current economic system is that it's pointless to trust God for our riches or provision. The lie that the enemy bandies about is that it's pointless to trust God for our riches, our provision. It's such a simple and yet such an effective lie. Now, as we visualize Mammon as the principality on this mountain, we see how effective he is with his tools of greed and fear. The lie is that you waste your effort trusting God. That's the lie. So that when you believe that, then fear and greed make total sense. We're filled with fear under the weight of finding and or keeping the riches that we need. And so then a capitalist greed is seen as the answer. When provision is abundant through greed, then we have a feeling of euphoria and invincibility. It gives steroids to, prides, to pride and independence. When on the other hand, provision is scarce, there is fear and anxiety as a whispering enemy is faithful be telling us all the worst case scenarios that are about to befall us. Now what further compounds the futility of wealth gathering through mammon is that at no time is there peace when you achieved your wealth through mammon advancement. Proverbs tell us that the financial blessing of the Lord adds no sorrow with it. When we at our core are convinced he provides for us, it registers as peace and trust. When wealth has been gained through extreme self-effort and greed, there's really no amount of riches that satisfy the heart. I've watched this reality for decades where I've seen millionaires and even billionaires live in fear of losing it all. I used to wonder at what amount there would be no more fear of losing it, but I found that every level, they fear losing it all. There's always a stress of attempting to accumulate the next level of wealth so that this you know, security will come, peace of mind will come. The millionaire wants to have his 10 millions. The one with tens of millions wants hundreds of millions. The one with hundreds of millions wants billions. The ones with billions wants the tens of billions. Orphans always fear losing everything. An orphan spirit always fears losing everything. Sons and daughters are secured in their hearts regardless of a bank statement or a bank account size. They are secured by their personal revelation of God's heart of provision towards them. That's the security, is to know how he is, who he is, and how he is as provider, and that becomes the anchor. So on the battlefield of the mountain of economy, we have the prophets of mammon releasing their books based on the lie that greed and fear are the only real ways of becoming wealthy. You'll be taught in these books all sorts of leveraging of opportunities, and none of them will include God. It's an alternative knowledge that denies him and his central identity as God, the provider. And you know, all you have to do, all one has to do is step into Wall Street for a day and observe those engaged in business there, and you'll discern that it's not the knowledge of God that's prevailing there. 
Stress, fear, and greed are virtually at a level 10 all across the board on the faces of those who are movers and shakers of the world's economy. As we remember Elijah's encounter, we recognize we're not going to be very successful just coming in. It's not like by coming into Wall Street. I rebuke you, mammon. That's not how this thing works. <laughs> the problem really isn't that there's a lying demon that has him under his spell. That's not the problem. The problem is that there's an absence of true knowledge of God, of true nuanced economic provider knowledge of God. The devil is our adversary, and he must be cast down, but we must do so strategically by demolishing the lie He's built in the minds of those who believe it, which has given him his stronghold of operations. He is not his own stronghold. It's the lie the people believe in that empowers any stronghold he operates from. Is that clear? So what's the truth? If that's the lie, the truth is we have, of course, been hitting on it through this entire session, but we want to make it pointedly clear. It's part of a purpose of all this. We're going through things in a, in a very uh, intentional, uh, repetitive way on the main points to make sure we have our takeaways clear. The truth is that our God enjoys providing riches for and through us. That's the truth. The truth is God enjoys providing riches for us and through us. Furthermore, he loves doing that. He doesn't just enjoy it, he loves it. And he does, does so not just because he's looking for a spiritual end for him doing so. He doesn't give just so people get saved or so they become more holy or so they become more obedient. He loves providing without an agenda because he's kind and this is his very nature. As it relates to society, he's not bartering their souls for provision. He doesn't require that anyone become born again and fully serve him in order for provision to come to them. He loves to do it just because he loves to do it. He loves to do it because he loves all of his sons and daughters, even if they don't yet know to love him back. And in any way that he's seen, acknowledged, and invited in, he will showcase this aspect of himself. We see this in the biblical story of Joseph in the Old Testament. In Egypt, if you remember, that Egypt represents society for us. God raised Joseph up to bring a solution that would not only save Egypt from destruction of the famine, but the solution actually enabled them to become the dominant nation on the planet, if you remember. They were strengthened during the famine. It says, and all nations came to Joseph and through Joseph to Egypt. And it was because a God's solution came from one of his sons, who received something from God, an interpretation from God, and that plan was implemented. We want to give some credit here to Pharaoh. He refused to stay self-sufficient and self-reliant. He had two dreams that he perceived were from God, the God he doesn't even know, whoever he was, trying to tell him something. When he heard there was a Hebrew prisoner named Joseph that could perceive how God speaks in dreams, he had him quickly brought to him. And then Joseph explained to Pharaoh, that whatever interpretation he came to would only be because it came from God. Joseph then laid out the God solution for surviving the famine and thriving through the famine. And when Joseph was done laying out the story, again, it's all in, in the scripture, it's all in our book, The Seven Mountain Mantle, but Pharaoh was impressed once Joseph laid out the whole plan of God. He said, the spirit of the living God is on this man. Let him have all economic authority in this nation. And he was given economic authority in that nation. Extra biblical information really tells us that for the next, I believe, 80 years, he was the de facto economic ruler and ruler of Egypt because they trusted his wisdom and his hearing from God. That this guy hears from God on provision. So mammon didn't have to be cast down intentionally and directly. They didn't have to have 40-day fasting and prayer to bring down mammon in Egypt. Because the lie of mammon had been demolished by an evidence of the true knowledge of God. See that, how that works? Fear and greed, mammon, get brought down when a God solution is promoted and acted on. Say that one more time, this is important. Mammon, which is fear and greed, gets brought down when a God solution is promoted and acted on. 
And when the fruit of that is manifested, it means the path of trusting in God is being followed. Pharaoh chose to trust God's solution, and it put Egypt under God the provider instead of under mammon. Trust connects to being under God the provider. Fear and greed connect to being under the scratching and clawing of mammon and the devil. Let's notice how God didn't blackmail with his solution of riches. It's important for us again. He didn't require Pharaoh and Egypt to worship him first or become Christians. <clears throat> he was just kind and he loved providing. This becomes important for us as we look to bring reformation to society. We, we have this tendency as believers to always have an angle for why God's going to do something good. We'll give sandwiches for another reason. You know, we'll do something with an with an ulterior reason, but our God's not like that. He just does things because he does things because that's his nature. We don't always need to have an agenda or an ulterior motive for showing God's love. It's just too much like a swarmy, slimy salesman. We come across that. We'll feed the poor, we'll do the kind things, but we must gain some souls or at least some church attendance out of it. When we feel empty, we failed. We go back to the board and say, well, you know, we did it, but... No one came to church and no one got saved. Oh, let's not do that again. Why people would think we're just being kind. <laughs> this is what God did with Egypt. He had a solution for the provision available through one of his own, Joseph, and he didn't require mass societal salvations in order to give it. He trusted in his kindness leading to repentance. You know, that's what it says in Romans. The kindness of God leads to repentance. We're really going to have to learn that one better. We, again, Joseph apparently had another 80 years of governmental influence and favor because he presented this true face of God as provider. This, again, will repeat in the future. We wonder how when it says nations will walk to the light of the sons of God. That was an example of a nation walking to the light of a son of God. Egypt wanted that aspect of God, and so they maintained their belief in that face of God, even if they missed most of the other faces of God. The Reformation mission becomes most effective when all his faces are presented, if they can see the full rainbow God and all his colors of love. But each and every one of the colors or facets of his face ultimately leads, is a path towards the fullness of who he is. During Joseph's days, again, it says, and all nations came to Joseph. In fact, we see that Pharaoh renamed him Safinath Panea, some very long name that I've never heard anybody call their kid that anyway, <clears throat> fortunately. Call him Z for short, I suppose. But that name means savior of the age. The Lord spoke to me that this is how it would be in the coming days. Nations would recognize the many Josephs and Josephines that would arise with solutions. And this would cause a new culture of the kingdom to be installed in society. There would be a new knowledge that would arise and overthrow the existing knowledge. The tarnished face of God as provider would be made evident and it would serve to keep at bay the attempted advances of mammon. See, as long as Joseph was alive and operating out of his knowledge as God as provider, as long as he was manifesting that face of God, as long as somebody knew and had knowledge of God in that way, Egypt was not going to turn to mammon. They knew by experience to trust in God. The same assignment must be understood and carried out in the boardrooms of small, medium, and large companies and corporations. God always has a better way of doing things. He has the better way, the best way. Kingdom ways are always the better way. They have better outcomes, and they have outcomes that are recognized here on earth as better outcomes. There's no crisis he doesn't already have the solution for. He spoke that to me. He says, Johnny, there's no present crisis, no present economic crisis, nor will there ever be where I will now have already pre-embedded the solution for that one of my sons or daughters. That's why I tell you to rise and shine, because the whole nation can suffer because you don't. In fact, he doesn't even mind giving his solutions to his sons and daughters that don't know they're his sons and daughters yet. But we must arise and shine outside the church into the structures of society itself. Mammon is cast down from a company when there is an inviting in of God and an obedience 
to his plan. Pharaoh did have to say yes to the plan. However, even in the delivery of the plan, a ring of truth and credibility also came. He recognized something went off in him and said, that man is speaking the truth. We have a wonderful God of provision that desires first to be seen by those who know they are his in order that those who don't know, who don't yet know they are his might be able to see his beauty and love. This is one of the attractors, the perfumes of God that attracts people to himself. This is our assignment in business and in national economies, not just to transfer wealth to ourselves. Sometimes we get messed up there. When's the transfer of wealth from the heathen to us? He wants us to eliminate thinking the us versus them. It's not about transferring wealth to ourselves and let the whole world fall apart and go to hell. It's not what Joseph did. He's like, Joseph, well, I have a solution. Me and my family are going to do it. Sorry, y'all are going to hell because you're idolaters. You understand God was just kind to a whole nation that never came to him because he's kind. So, so it's to assist in revealing the love of God to all his sons and daughters who consider themselves orphans and haven't yet awakened to the reality of their heavenly father. So this is, this is awesome what is about to happen on planet earth with these arising sons and daughters. All right. I just love all of the little sideways. Um, you know, there's, there's a huge mentality shift with this revelation, right? But then there's all these side things I feel God like tweaking us in. And one of them is, I feel him like erasing this imaginary line that I don't know how long it's been there, but we use this word, these words that make it like us and them. You know, there's the church and there's the world. And um, I know that's biblical. There's that terminology in, in the scripture, but I think that the enemy has used that against the bigger picture of what God's doing. And so I just love his heart in our generation to just erase that line and give us the freedom to think of who we would usually refer to as the heathen as our brothers and sisters who just don't yet know they are yet, right? And, um, and that, that gulf, that chasm is just... Um, you know, there's always a good and a, and a more difficult side to every truth. The truth is, yeah, there is a lot of melding and a lot of compromise that's come into the church. And, but, but the beautiful part of that is there's a lot of melding, right? There, in, a, in a good sense, we're, we're interacting more. Um, we're, we're getting outside of the four walls of the church more and more. And, and um, I think they're going to start feeling it very soon. All right, um, one of the things I just wanted to very quickly draw your attention to, if you notice, whenever we talk about the big lie, we use um, a common phrase that sounds something like the lie being perpetuated about God in this current area of society. That word perpetuated, we're using very intentionally. Um, so I just want to explain it to you very briefly. Um, if you think about something that's perpetuated, it's perpetual, it's happening over and over again in a cyclical kind of way, in cycles. And um, I'll just use the mountain of economy. We talked about um, the lie being that God, uh, it's pointless to trust him for our riches, for our provision. And so if you really believe that, consciously or subconsciously, um, the ramifications of that are you're going to set up systems and ways of producing finances that are um, an orphan's mentality. You know, I got to figure this out on my own. And so what have we figured out? Greed. Greed is like the driving, motivating force in much of our economic, current economic system. And so, of course, when you have a system built on greed, Eventually, the repercussions of that is um, devastating to an economy and to people's personal economies. You can only be sustained by that for so long without reaping some very negative consequences in your life. 
that can destroy your family and eventually destroy the very thing you've been trying to build up, which is your finances. So if you think about the (laughs) Bob Hartley, folks, (laughs) he's joined us. If you think about um, when a lie is being perpetuated, it's being perpetuated because you believe a lie based on the consequences that you reap in your own life. So if I'm believing something false about God, then I'm going to reap the consequences of my broken system that I've put into place, thinking that it's reiterating a lie that, uh, that I think is true. I hope I'm explaining this well, but when you think that something's true and it's not, and you're, and you're getting back feedback into your life that says, yep, yep, you better have more greed, you better work harder, you better just pull yourself up, you're perpetuating through that broken system, the lie continues on and on, generation and generation, about God. So does that make sense? And then we use the word current because we need to stay um, aware that this lie, because this enemy is, is a little bit um, sly, he will twist that lie. Who knows what it might evolve into in the years to come, but we're going to stay on top of it because we're going to continue to declare the truth about who God is in each of these areas of society. So I just wanted to draw your attention to that. Okay, when we encounter God as provider, we are assured of his provision. Okay, we have seven assurances, and we've talked about different ones. We're assured we have a destiny. Here, we're assured we have provision. Everybody needs to wake up knowing their needs are going to be met. All right, so to the degree that this next little short paragraph here uh, resonates with you, to that same degree... We want to challenge each other, challenge ourselves to adore, gaze at, magnify this particular face of God. So here is the statement. I need to know that God can and wants to take care of all that I need and the quality of my life, especially as it relates to where I live, what I eat, and the way I look. I need to know that he's happy to supply more than enough for my needs and those I'm responsible for. I need to know that he wants to help me be successful financially in the assignment he's given me and that he also wants me to supply more than enough for others. I need to see God's face as provider. Okay, so let's just close our eyes and allow... God's provider heart to speak over us for just a couple of minutes as we close this session. My sons and daughters, I never grow weary of caring for you, of being your source when you allow me to be. I know it's hard to trust me because it's hard to know what's your part and what's my part. But know this, I get it. I know what it's like to learn how to be responsible and also childlike and trusting. I taught Jesus how, and I can teach you too. But it requires constant communication and constant checking in with me, which of course I like. I know it's hard for you, but I like it when you are absolutely in need of me for everything that you need in life. I like it when you notice how I provide for you. But even when you don't, I'll keep providing for you because that's who I am. Of course, there are times it doesn't look like I'm providing for you or for the nations. Looks like I don't care. But that simply isn't true. The proof that I care is that you care. Can you look at a child who doesn't have enough or the basic needs of life and not care? Do you enjoy giving your children more than enough and extravagantly blessing them? Do you feel proud and content when your children share what you've given them and give extravagantly to others? Of course you care. That's because you are mine, made in my image. 
When there's lack and you think I don't care and you think I'm not going to provide for you, just ask yourself, what would you do for your child? That's my heart. Now, does that mean you'll always see my provision played out in an obvious way? As you know, it doesn't. Because I'm also providing for you riches that cannot be taken from you. And those can only be gained in the places of contradiction and seeming lack. Even when evil comes and kills, steals, and destroys, it's not because it just slipped past me or my account was too low. Everyone who looks to me, who allows me to provide whatever's whatever it is that's needed, finds it in me, whether now or in my presence. I am your source, and I love providing for you and through you all the riches of who I am and what I have in my perfect way and in my perfect time. Come to me. I'm all you need. Don't ever be afraid to ask, to trust, and to wait. Don't ever be afraid to give. And know that when you're generous with your riches, I love to trust you to be generous with mine. Thank you, provider God for all the ways that you care for us, especially, God, those of us that live in a nation as wealthy as this one. Forgive us for, for forgetting how you have lavished us, every one of us, with so much, enough to be generous with. And we look at this beautiful face of yours as provider and we say, we trust you. Thank you for providing for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This podcast was made available by contributions from listeners like you. To donate, go online to restore7.org. Thank you.